Dave Fanning on 2FM. Now, two days ago, we saw the final chapter in one of the strangest American stories of the past decade. The story of Theranos has been told in a book. The award-winning book by John Kerry, who is called Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. It's been told in an award-winning podcast called The Dropout, Money, Romance, Tragedy and Deception, and in a brilliant, again award-winning, eight-episode TV crime drama, also called The Dropout. The series documents the disgraced biotechnology company Theranos and its founder, Elizabeth Holmes, played brilliantly by Amanda Seafried. So who is or who was Elizabeth Holmes? Well, she was a young woman with a vision. Her father had been president of the now defunct energy commodities and services company Enron Corporation. Before she was 20 Elizabeth came up with the idea that she believed that she could change the world with the invention of a machine that could test for a variety of ailments and diseases from only a few drops of blood from a person's finger. Her drive and ambition to be the Steve Jobs of the healthcare industry impressed many people and saw her company Theranos valued at $9 billion. There was only one problem. Uh, The machine didn't work. So, uh, Elizabeth Holmes, who was she exactly then? Well, she was the instigator and front and centre of the whole thing. In the office, she was a green-juiced, vegan, TED Talk, Jane Austen-quoting superstar who shared discussion panels with Bill Clinton and a board of directors, which included some of the most famous and powerful people in the world of business and politics. The valuation of Theranos, as they say, hit the $9 billion mark at one point. When her fraud was exposed, she denied any wrongdoing. She was accused of lying to doctors, hoodwinking investors, and this year was found guilty on four counts of fraud. And just a few weeks ago, she was sentenced to 11 and a quarter years in jail. And Elizabeth Holmes's partner in crime, Sonny Bolwani, Theranos president, was convicted of 12 counts of wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud for his role in the failed blood testing startup. He was sentenced to 13 years in prison two days ago, bringing to an end a bleak, dangerous and outrageous story of lies, deception and life-endangering fraud. The person who blew the whole thing wide open a few years back was Erica Chung, and I spoke with her as the whole thing unravelled. Erica basically is the Theranos whistleblower. So let's start, Erica, with how you came to work at Theranos and how did that come to pass? I first started to I, I first started working at Theranos after I had graduated from Berkeley. And I was on track to get a PhD uh, after school, but instead I had stumbled upon this great biotech company with a strong female leader that was trying to completely change the way that people received healthcare and their blood diagnostics. So I had um, contacted a recruiter and, and I didn't even know what job I was applying for when I did, but they funneled my resume over to basically join the company and uh, that's how I got started there. And you, you but like by what you've said there, you were impressed by Elizabeth Holmes, were you? Yes, yes, very much so. From the little I knew of her, at least, because there wasn't actually a lot of information on her or the company when I joined. They were still pretty quiet about what was going on. Okay, well, let's see what was going on or what was supposed to have been going on. Um, The Theranos story itself, can you explain what the company was and what it was trying to do? Yeah, so Theranos was a blood diagnostic company, and essentially what they were trying to do was revolutionize blood diagnostics. So typically when you go to the doctor, um, the doctor will say, hey, you need to run this full blood panel. You go into the lab, they take a venous draw, they stick a needle into your arm, they pull out a vial of blood, and then they run it back into the lab to get it processed to figure out um, what your medical results are. Theranos was trying to change that. What they were doing was instead of 
going to the hospital or to the doctor's office, you could go to your local Walgreens, which is a drugstore basically on every corner in the United States. You'd get a finger prick, um, like you see with diabetes uh, glucose test. And from that finger prick, you could run your full panel of diagnostic tests. And the great thing about these tests, in addition to them being less painful, is you could also pay for them out of pocket. You didn't even need insurance uh, to pay for them. They were pretty much within everyone's budget to be able to afford to to get them done without even needing insurance. And all of this because of a fantastic uh, new invention, which was a new machine called the Edison, as in Thomas Edison. What exactly was the Edison from your point of view when you went in? Did you work with it? Did you see it? Was it down in the vaults? Were you allowed in? Yeah, so the intention of the Edison was it was a machine about the size of a printer that you could put in every home in America. And the the purpose of it was that you could just stick that little blood sample in there, it would run, and then it would spit out your results. Um, And when I went in, I wasn't quite too sure what kind of technology was being used. Again, it was very secretive. Even to do my interview to come and join the company, I, uh, before I had even joined the company, I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement and a confidentiality agreement. Um, and once I got hired and I saw what was inside, actually the Edison was a lot less impressive. Um, it mm. wasn't very complicated or complex. Well, with the NDA that you signed, do you think that you were signing that because there was this great new invention and you couldn't tell anybody else in Silicon Valley or anything else? But actually looking back on it now, it's that if you saw anything a little bit subterfuge or underhand or whatever, that you would keep your mouth shut. Right. The story that we were told was if the information had gotten out, that our competitors would yeah. come after us. That was what was told. So there was a lot of fear around letting secrets leave the company because, you know, basically LabCorp, Quest Diagnostics, these big um, blood diagnostic giants were going to come and and shut us down. Um, But now in retrospect, we realize that it's a a much different storyline about why um, it was so important to keep secrecy within the company and why that culture was really instilled. Yeah, indeed. Okay, well, the centre of it all was Elizabeth Holmes. The Elizabeth Holmes that I asked about a minute ago was the Elizabeth Holmes you didn't know. When you were there for a while, I presume you got to know her a bit. So who was Elizabeth Holmes, your boss at Theranos, Theranos, while you were there? I mean, Elizabeth Holmes is not... The experience I had even working in the company is not much different than what you see in the interviews with her. Mm. She was Theranos. Uh, the the character that she portrayed to everybody about the company that was really who she was, um, you know, it, it as much as we can look at things in retrospect and say like oh well, you know it was so clear that based on the way she put on a character with her voice or the way that she dressed or the way that she spoke about things that of course you know this person was. Uh, um, uh, trying to lie to people or or had you know some some uh deceptive tendencies but really she had this charismatic way of communicating with you that made you believe whatever she was saying and she was really able to sell this vision quite well and therefore you liked it but did you see a cultivation of a steve jobs image did you see a change of voice did you see a stare that never blinked did you notice anything about her that people are saying now how do we not notice 10 years ago (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I have to say, sadly, when I was working for the company, and initially when I had started working with her, I didn't notice these things. And it's not until you realize and start realizing how bad the failures were that we were seeing in the laboratory were going on and reporting those to her. And the fact that it didn't even phase her when people were coming up to her saying things are not working, we should not be testing on patients. And her response to that being just well, make it work. Uh, this is a, a problem with something you're doing versus the technology we have and an absolute denial about what was objectively going on with the technology in the company. So initially, uh, when I was working for the company, I was in research and development. And I noticed in the research and development lab that we had a lot of failures. Um, but then my job had transitioned from being in research and development to then integrating it into a clinical setting. So this is when you're actually processing patient samples. And sometimes we would run patient samples. For example, there's this test called TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. And I would test it once and it would show that the person had hypothyroidism. And then I tested it again and it would show complete opposite diagnoses with the same sample. I'd run it again and it would come out completely normal. And when I started running into these occurrences over and over, I knew something was really wrong here. And then in a Beyond that, we were also noticing that Sonny and Elizabeth, when we would have inspections by regulators, would not show them the facility and the laboratory that where we were actually testing patient samples. They were showing them another lab that we had with all old machines that are FDA approved by Siemens Advia all these big medical diagnostic uh, company machines. Um, was it a question, you think, of the end justifying the means and that, you know, she might have had a great dream and wanted that dream to come true and kept going wanting it, even though all the evidence suggested it was never real? Yeah, I mean, you can't do that, right? This is yeah. this is healthcare. This is, this is a case where, uh, you know, you can't apply a fake it till you make it when it comes to patients' lives. You can't do that, right? It's it's not it's not the same as if, you know, I download an app on my phone and um, you know my delivery comes late. It's it's really could mean the difference between life and death. Uh, okay, well, one of the things I wanted to say about Steve Jobs earlier on in terms of dropping out of Stanford and all the rest of it was: Do you think in any way at all that it just got out of hand? Do you think she dropped out of college and knew exactly what she was doing, and she was kind of very smart and very charismatic, and that she really believed from the word go that she could pull this off one way or the other, and it just became too much for her, and she was never able to admit that she was wrong, and worse, she can't even admit it now. Yeah, I think I I. I I don't really believe that she went in this with really bad yeah, intentions. Yeah, I think yeah. she really wanted to build this company up. Uh, and she was able to sell the vision, sell the idea, raise a lot of money. But the thing is, is it's like I can put on a doctor's coat, but if I stand at you know, a surgical table, I'm not going to be able to conduct surgery. There's some level of competence that you need in order to build something like a medical device. And there's a certain level of experience that you need to have in order to make sure that is done well. And I think in her case, it's, you know, even though she, this may have gotten too much for her to handle, needing, she needed to come to a point where she admitted, 
I'm not doing what I'm saying. I need to stop lying to people and promising things that I can't execute on. Oh, what about people. the obsessive secrecy that was there? I mean, like in the documentary on telly, it shows stuff like, um, you know, kind of bulletproof windows, um, kind of, uh, you know, bodyguards, etc., and being kept well away from what was essentially a pretty young kind of bunch of people working really, really, really hard. Yeah. Another thing, like you never, you never pay attention to these details when you're kind of in the thick of that kind of culture, (laughs) but you realize what a big red flag all these things are, the sort of paranoia uh, about people coming after you. Honestly, we weren't even on the radar for these big companies. We were so small in comparison to how big these organizations are, these other blood diagnostic companies. Also, yeah, yeah. if if someone is trying to hide things, just asking that simple question of why are they trying to hide things is really important. I mean, like George Schultz is one of the people who was on that board with, with Kissinger and like so many other famous names. And that Tyler Schultz was a son who worked. Did you kind of want to whistle blow around the same time as Tyler did? So me and Tyler had raised complaints within the company at the same time. A lot, a lot of people don't know this, but we had quit. Uh, a day apart from one another. Yeah. And for those of you who have read the book Bad Blood by John Kerryrew, who's the Wall Street Journal reporter who broke this story, um, we had both gone to his grandfather's house and told him that, look, what you see on the surface is not actually what's going on behind closed doors. The machines are not working. What she is promising and claiming to the media, to you, uh, to patients is 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 not really what's going on, and and you need to realize that she's lying to you. Um, I, I can't really speak for what was going on in George Schultz's head, but he was really convinced that we were wrong, yeah. that Tyler and I were wrong, that really he had seen so much evidence and so much proof at this point that he really believed in Elizabeth, and he really believed in the company, and that. He didn't think Tyler was was stupid per se, but he he just felt that he made the wrong call. And I don't think it has been until fairly recently that he's realized that um, actually actually she she was lying and that he has nothing really good to say about this person anymore. And even, um, you know, Elizabeth Holmes, when she had found out that Tyler had come forward and said something, had called Tyler's parents and said uh, that, you know, Tyler was trying to sabotage this company, that he was trying to, you know, come after her personally and and, and, and destroy this company. Um, and that had created kind of a weird um, situation in terms of figuring out for George Schultz, who to, who to believe in this scenario. And at the age of 23, you went to health regulators to become a whistleblower. How do you reflect on that decision now? I mean, has it been worth it? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Honestly, if I had known, if I had known how easy it was to just send an email over to regulators, I would have probably done it sooner and probably convinced more people to do it as well. Again, the bottom line and the agenda always for me was we couldn't process patient samples with faulty technology. Yeah. That's it. It's unacceptable. I mean, it is kind of incumbent upon you to do that when you see something as wrong right in front. I mean, like they were over promising at every step of the way. When you and Tyler saw this, you really don't have much choice, do you? Yeah, you don't have much choice. You you really, I mean, if she wanted to build a medical device, she, she shouldn't have processed patient samples, right? 
if she had decided not to launch and just work on a medical device and build out the technology, that would have been fine and kept it in-house as a laboratory. But the moment she crossed the line yeah. to start processing patient samples was something that wasn't, you know, wasn't validated by it wasn't validated, wasn't fit to use on patients, and then went to the extreme of lying to regulators about what she was doing internally. It's just... Well, I mean, that's the point. I mean, she kept crossing lines. She kept being interviewed. She kept saying how great it was, and she knew it didn't work. Right. And and that that's the thing that I think is the most shocking is is at some point, if, if you are the CEO of a company, you need to come forward and just admit, I made a mistake. And I think if she had gone that route, it, it, all of this could have turned out a very different way. You know, the vision was so powerful and people wanted to believe in it so badly because it is quite strong. You know, having affordable, accessible lab diagnostics, everyone is hungry for those types yeah. of projects to succeed. Um, and it's unfortunate that she decided to go to the path of, of denial and lying and and just ignoring the reality of the situation and what she was doing. So it's like Enron. It's like any of these things. If somebody just checked the damn books for five minutes, they might have seen this kind of thing. But I understand that you were in the in the in the you know the eye of the storm in that place. It never occurred to you. But who is this person, Sonny? You mentioned earlier on because you you mentioned Elizabeth, who we know, and Elizabeth was Sonny was the boyfriend and the other person involved. Yeah. So Sonny was the COO of the company, and he had been successful during the dot-com years in the tech industry and um, came on board to work with Elizabeth on this company and also was her boyfriend. So Erica, did you feel that you had to do what you did? It was your duty. Yeah, I think I think it's not only to serve as sort of a cautionary tale to people who are in the tech industry and especially people who are trying to build technologies in highly regulated industries. Um, it's also to be an ally and to people that are in similar circumstances to show that you can do something like whistleblow on a company and a massive fraud. And it's not something that you need to be scared about or live in fear about that there can be an outcome where if you do the right thing, it'll turn out okay. So the nonprofit we just launched about a month and a half ago. And so I, I, I founded the organization and essentially what we're doing is creating kind of plug and play solutions for entrepreneurs to embed, you know, ethical infrastructure within their businesses, making sure that they're compliant and making sure that they're meeting the regulatory standards that they need very early on to reduce the risk and the cost and, and try and prevent these big scandals from happening in the, in the future. Well, thank you very much, Erica. Dave Fanning on 2FM.